0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We are continuing in our series... It's called Spiritual Disciplines, Glorifying God Through Humble Obedience. So in the prior weeks running up to this, we have covered uh, fasting, Bible reading and study, or consuming the Bible in different ways, and prayer. This week, we are going to explore the spiritual discipline of serving. Uh, You'll notice there will be a, this will be a very scripture-heavy sermon because the Subject of serving, uh, much like the subject of giving, is one where uh, people can get a little bit of an attitude. Well, you're just trying to make me do stuff. Well, no, not really. I just want you to be more like Jesus because I love you. But yeah, to some degree, you're going to be called to do stuff. So uh, we're going to use a lot of scripture so that uh, it's, it's the Bible that's talking to you and not so much me, which is always good. Um, <clears throat> but as I've said in, in past weeks, this applies, especially this week. The point of this series is not to make you feel guilty about a lack of spiritual discipline. It's not to get you to buckle down and just do your duty as a Christian. Instead, what we're hoping for is, is and, and what the point of this series is, is to stir and awaken a desire in us um, to participate in these beautiful freedom gifts uh, that are available to us because Jesus did live a perfect life. He did die in our place and he did rise from the grave. These are these are gifts and opportunities. These are precious privileges afforded to us that we wouldn't have if it were not for the truth of the gospel. And so we could not pray. We could not study the Bible with any effectiveness. We would There would be no reason to fast. And we definitely would not be able to serve God, his kingdom, or his people if it were not for the gospel. So rejoicing in the freedom that comes uh, because of Jesus is the major call. And it, this is an invitation to participate uh, in these things that God has set out for us. So, and why, why are we so careful to say that? And, and why have I almost repeated myself about it every week? Because it's very important for us to understand that discipline, just from a sense of duty alone, if duty is the only thing driving any discipline, it won't produce what <clears throat> God wants us to have. It's, it's the, the point of these things will be missed. And that's, it's always sad when somebody does the right thing, but it, it doesn't lead to the right outcome. So... What'll happen if, if, if this is only duty-driven, if it's not love-driven, if it's not joy-driven, either it'll last for a while and then it'll falter, like so many of us have experienced. I, I know I'm in that bucket, right? That I, I said, okay, I'm going to do this thing, whatever it is, I'm going I'm to buckle down, I'm going to white-knuckle, I'm going to make it happen, you know, and, and, and the limitations of my own endurance lead to a, a disappointing fall at the end. Either, either that'll happen, or even if you can stick it out, maybe you're the, maybe you're the one, right, you got that self discipline for days. Um, even if you can stick it out, it's, it's still going to lack the transformative power that Jesus intends it to have for us. So we, we don't want to do that. We want to just have discipline. Uh, we want to have all the reasons why God wants us to do these things and, and invites us to participate. So uh, 1 Timothy 4 7 admonishes us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. You're going to hear a lot about purpose tonight, purpose in serving, but overall, God wants us to discipline ourselves for a purpose, not just because he wants us to prove something or because he thinks we've got nothing better to do. The purpose is godliness. And throughout this series, I've asked you a question. And this question, the answer to this question is going to determine, it'll determine whether or not you can really benefit from what it is we're studying, whether or not you really can take these teachings on discipline and see them as an invitation to a privilege as opposed to just the duty to be performed. The question is this, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? See, if we're honest, we all have an answer to that question. There's a first answer that rises up out of our hearts. And part of the hope of this series is for the answer we have to line up with the answer God has, because God has an answer of what he wants us to be. He reveals that in Romans eight twenty nine, where he says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God has committed to a process of not only saving us by grace through faith in Christ alone, but then working with us, shaping us, forming us, making us into a beautiful reflection of his Son. And so God wants us to be like Jesus, to be Christ-like, is a part of the call and the mission of every Christian. To be Christ-like is synonymous with godliness, and 1 Timothy 4 tells us to discipline ourselves for that purpose. And so as we take these things on, as we accept the invitation to participate in these disciplines, as we see them as the freedom gifts that they are, we will will, uh, be participating in the process of being conformed into the image of Christ. I want to be more like Jesus. I hope you want to be more like Jesus. And that's the whole point of what we're going to do in digging through this series. We want to be like Jesus. Um, Desire always precedes true discipline. That's why we're talking about desire before we get into any of these every week. Tonight, what we're asking God to cultivate in us is a greater desire for serving than we've ever had. and, And we want a hope to rise in us that 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 desire for the discipline of serving is going to give birth to joy-filled and disciplined service. And that's going to be for our good, but also for God's glory. We thank God for all that, that any of that's possible. So we're going to read John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. And uh, see what it is the Lord will say to us from his word. Amen. I'm in John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord... Then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I've chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats My bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Praise God for his word. First of all, I just want to set up for us the importance of this. Every time Jesus spoke, every single thing Jesus did, on the, on the scale of importance, registers way higher than anything else. However, I want to just point out to you that the, the crucial nature of Jesus' actions here, the intentionality and the purpose behind what he's doing. Let me uh, point you again to verse 3. It says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Then he got up from supper, and then he washed the disciples' feet. So you, here's, here's the beautiful thing that, that, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John is able to let us into the, the thought process of the Master. Jesus, what's he thinking about? He's thinking about the fact he's about, this is right before he's going to be betrayed, which is right before what? He goes to be tortured, which is right before what? He goes to the cross, where he dies, Three days later, he rises. He knows that he's coming to the end of the time that he has to teach and to make these men into disciples that are going to then go and preach the good news of the gospel to all the world. He knows the crucial nature of this time point, and this is the action he takes. This is the thing he decides to do to give an example to his men of what they're going to need to do after he's gone. Do you hear what he told Peter? He said, you're not going to understand this right now, but hereafter you will. You're going to see and you're going to understand the imminent nature of his crucifixion and death and subsequent resurrection and ascension is on the mind of the master. This is how he spends uh, one of the last sets of of, a few precious moments uh, teaching his men. So this, this is crucial. This matters a lot. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to answer three questions. What is serving from a biblical perspective? Why do we serve as followers of Jesus? And how is it that we're supposed to serve as Christians? So first of all, let's, let's tackle the question, what is serving? Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, there's a lot that could be said about this. You'll find varying different definitions. This is my best attempt at, at boiling this down with the help of the Lord. Serving is a physical expression and tangible overflow of our love for God and love for people. Serving is a physical expression and tangible overflow of our love for God and love for people. That's important. Motive matters. It always does. Let me give you uh, some additional verses to back up that definition. You might say, oh, there's a lot of other things that I would have said about serving. That's fine, and there probably could be. But l- let me tell you where this comes out of. I'm going to read you 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Just listen, don't try to turn there. It says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love one for another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Part of what we see here is... Peter, before he encourages us about serving one another, he says, above all, keep fervent and in love for one another. That is going to be the primary motive. It's, it's a love first for God, secondary love for people. That is going to motivate a service that is pleasing to God and that is fruitful for the building of his kingdom. There are so many other potential motivations, so many, and none of them will do. It must be love for God and love for people. Secondly, in in discussing what is serving, serving, according to Peter here, is also good stewardship. Let me just remind you of what it said here. It says that as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So, part of how we steward, what does that mean? It's basically a steward is someone that manages something someone else owns. The grace of God has been given to us by the mercy of God. The grace of God has been given to us as a free gift. But there's a call here for us to steward that, to care about the fact that we have been given a gift more precious than anyone else has ever received, and it's the grace of God. And somehow, in Peter's mind, serving is stewarding the manifold grace of God. It's us doing the right thing with what we've been given. And So what does that mean? That means... The opposite is also true for us not to serve then is to not steward well the gift of grace that we've been given. That's real important. Now, I want I want to address something right off the bat because I know that this is prevalent and true for many of you. Many of you don't believe what those scriptures say here. You don't believe that you have a gift. You don't believe that you have anything to offer. And let me just say this as plainly as I possibly can. If you believe you don't have anything to offer, if you believe you don't have a gift that's been given to you by God, that is a lie from Satan and nothing else. Because the scriptures are absolutely clear on the subject and not just in one place. God has gifted you. How do I know that for sure? A couple things. 1 Peter 4.10, which is right here where I just read. It says, as each one has received a special gift as each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of god anybody got any creative philosophical ways to dance out of that one like how how you, how you doing each one of us has been given a special gift we've been called to employ it to use it to be a good steward of it and to bless others with it you do have a gift well i don't see it Dear friend, that's that's not surprising. Uh, there is many places where we are blind and unable to see all that God sees. I'm just asking you by faith to reach for what the Bible says here and say, even if I can't see it, even if I don't understand it, even if nobody else sees it, and even if a bunch of people that are fools have spoke the opposite into my life, told me I'm not worth anything and I'm not any good. I'm going to believe God's word on the subject. I'm going to believe I do have something that God's put in me. I'm going to figure out what it is and I'm going to employ it for the service of others as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. You might have to reach for this by faith, friend, but it's true. It's not just Peter that thinks so. Let me read you Romans 12. This is verses 4 through 8. If you want to track with me and look at this stuff later, please, you know, I'm I'm hoping some of you are taking notes. Um, if you want, if you're really fast at turning there, that's fine. But um, I'm going to reference a lot of verses, so you, you might get lost if you try to keep up with me here. But go read these later. But I'm going I'm to. So what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm making a case for you being gifted by God. I'm making a case for you to be able to push back every single time you're told to lie. You don't have anything to offer God's kingdom. You don't have anything to offer God's people. That there's no purpose for your life. Let me just say this. Uh, in, in absolute stark contrast to that deception. This is Romans 12, 4 through 8. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We see here one of the more concise lists of different things uh, revealed by the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul, different ways that people are gifted. There There are... Discussions among theologians of whether this is an exhaustive list or not. Basically, the question is, do you have one of these gifts for sure, or is Paul giving an example here of some of the ways that God gifts His people by the Holy Spirit? Uh, we don't have time to take apart all the arguments and try to figure it out. But ultimately, the bottom line here is, um, I, I would say, you know, maybe maybe you're like, well, I don't prophesy, uh, I don't teach, I don't exhort. Uh, I'm not very good at giving because I think I'm broke. Uh, I don't lead, and I'm not very merciful. I'm real mad all the time. Well, okay, but, but there's another one here. It says him and his, somebody that, that serves in their service, uh, that they should they should do that to the glory of God. They should do that by the power of God. And so all of us can serve. Uh, and, and that to see that, first of all, just to change our frame of reference and see serving as a spiritual gift, something that God will put in us, give us an ability to do, and then empower us to, to walk that out, uh, I think, man, a lot of times service gets a bad rap. It gets, it gets put down on this low place in the totem pole that, that God doesn't see it that way. The Bible doesn't see it that way. So we need our vision to be corrected to see it the way heaven sees it, as opposed to the way we or our culture sees it. Great spot to say amen. I'm glad you did. Amen. Still a little scratching the throat, so I'm going to... Do a few drinks in here. I'm going to leave that one right there, that, that we need to change our point of reference and the way we see serving and see it the way God sees. I'll let you think about that while I take a sip. Amen. I want to think like God thinks about stuff. I need his help, because I don't all the time. Do you see that one of those spiritual gifts was giving? That he, some, some, some people, man, are, are just gifted to give. Uh, they By faith, man, when God brings resources into their life, they, they're like a funnel. They can just let it go back out because they know God's going to keep supplying. And uh, sometimes that means they're, they're even gifted for uh, business and, 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 and bringing resources in. And that's, that's one of the reasons we need to be careful. I think oftentimes Satan, in his uh, attempts to cause disunity and strife inside of the body of Christ, he tries to get people uh, of different social stations to demonize each other, right? Right? Satan really likes it when poor people think every single rich person has stepped on people's heads to get there. Satan really likes it when every uh, rich person thinks that all the poor people are just lazy. That's why they're poor. Uh, The reality is that's not true at all. The Bible is very clear. There are very wicked rich people, but there are very wicked poor people. There are also righteous rich people and righteous uh, poor people. The Bible doesn't see socioeconomic status as a gauge with which we determine righteousness. It's by faith through Christ. Uh, it's by grace through faith in Christ alone. That is the only way righteousness comes. And that's the real issue. So uh, God may, you know, I, I'm just talking to some of you that, that maybe, um, maybe because you're upper, middle, middle, or lower middle class, and maybe you've watched Cribs too much, and you're like, oh, rich people, I can't believe, you know, what they do. Like, just know that a lot of times Satan's in that, man. Um, and I've, I've fought it myself. Don't, don't think that I'm just yelling at everybody. I've, I've, I've been tempted to think, well, if I had that much money, I'd do... Well, I haven't had that much money, so I don't really know what I'd do, do I, right? So I should just be careful and understand that, man, God might have gifted that person uh, to have that much money passed through their hands. And a lot of times you don't know what people are doing with it. And so we should just reserve our judgment and, and be careful. Deal with our own hearts and uh, the gross stuff that's hiding in there. Amen. All right. So that's, that's what is service. It's, it's a tangible, physical expression of our love for God and love for people, and it's us it's stewarding well, the manifold grace of God, the gift of grace. Uh, all of us are called to serve. Praise the Lord for that. So why do we serve? Why do we serve? Well, first of all, uh, and this has been kind of a, a synergistic and, and, and synonymous uh, thread that's run through this entire series. Every one of these spiritual disciplines are things that we see active in the life of Jesus, and that's going to be my first point tonight of why we serve. We serve because Jesus served, and uh, hopefully if you remember the verses we started with that we launched from, that's very obvious, but the the, the the washing of the disciples' feet is perhaps one of the more pronounced because Jesus pretty much spelled out what he was doing, right? It was It was very intentional that he was going to make himself low, that he was going to take off his garments. And this is the, this is the master. This is the, when these guys have walked around watching him feed 5,000 people with a couple loaves and some fish. They've seen blind eyes open. They've seen deaf ears come back. They've seen people rise from the dead by the words of, of this master teacher, rabbi, the Lord, the, the son of God. They've already declared, they, we know you're the Messiah. And I'm just telling you i'd, have, I'd have, I would have been with Peter, I know my temperament I would have been so freaked out by the fact that Jesus was trying to wash my feet no I'll, let me wash yours he'd been he'd have been trying to get low next to me I'd have been getting lower trying to get down on, you know just i wouldn't i wouldn't have wanted i couldn't have I would have needed the same correction Peter got. I know that for sure i don't know if i, I don't know if I'd then gone the other way like he did well then wash everything no you know just let Jesus lead the conversation. Peter, chill out a little bit. But, you know, we, we know Peter needs a chill pill. But hallelujah, God used him anyway. So there's hope for me. Um, but, but Jesus served, not just when he washed his head. I mean, think of the entirety of his ministry. What's he doing? He's, he's got nowhere to lay his head. He, he's basically homeless, just walking from town to town, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing the sick, feeding the hungry. Uh, Jesus was a servant in, in the truest sense of the word. And so Jesus served and we that uh, claim to follow him, that's, I mean, we could almost just stop there. Uh, you could almost just read this section of John 13 and, and it's, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory that the people of God, if we're going to follow after Jesus, our master, we are going to be people that serve. We're going to be servants. Uh, but we'll keep going from there. Jesus served. That's part of why we serve. Uh, the second thing uh, I'm going to say is that Jesus expects us to serve, so he didn't just serve. He made it very clear that part of what he was doing was setting an example for us to follow. I'm going to call your attention specifically to verses 13 through 17 uh, in the passage we read. That's in John 13. He says, "You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If you then, if I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did." To you, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So Jesus didn't leave any question about what was going on here. He intentionally, at the very end of his life, spent these moments teaching something through action. He didn't just lean back at the table and say, hey, guys, serve one another. Jesus knew that we do better sometimes if we have an example. So he, the very highest, and he makes that point, doesn't he? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. That is who I am. So let me show you something. I'm the highest. I'm the best. I'm the greatest. All glory belongs to me. I come from the Father, and I'm about to die for your sins. I'm going to go low. I'm going to show you that The highest is going to go the lowest, and and we fit in between that spectrum, right? Are we as important as Jesus? Nowhere close. And we'll never have an opportunity to go lower as a servant than he did. And so he's left us without excuse. He's left us with no option. His expectation for us to be servants, both in our mind and hearts and in our actions, it, it is undeniable. This is the will of God for us, to take on the mantle, to take that... Take that servant's towel and wrap it around us and keep it on. Let our hearts be oriented towards that. Jesus both exemplifies and teaches this truth in John 13. This, this truth is echoed uh, in the teachings of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. I'm going to read you a significant portion here. Uh, this is Romans 12, verses 1 through 13. I'm talking about the fact that Jesus expects us to serve underneath the big umbrella and idea of why it is we are servants as Christians. Jesus does expect us to, to serve. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Pause. That's If you've heard that a lot, it may just kind of roll over your head. You, we got to think about this a second. What is he saying? A living and holy... If you take something, and you're going to sacrifice it to God. This is a reference to, to the Old Testament system sacrificial system, and you take that goat, you take that sheep, you take them turtle doves, man, whatever you brought to sacrifice, and you give, you give those to sacrifice, they're going to take that thing, they're going to kill it, spill its blood, and it's going to atone for sin. When you give something as a sacrifice, man, there's no holding back. You don't give half of it. If you bring that thing to be sacrificed, it's all in all the way. When you sacrifice, you're giving it all. And, and he calls us here not to, not to come and put ourselves on an altar and be slaughtered. Jesus did that so we don't have to, but he called us to be a living and holy sacrifice, totally set aside, consecrated, and given to God in service. He says, Be a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Woo, there's a fridge magnet verse, isn't it? Come on, I'm going to say it again. What do you say? (laughs) For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness... You might be saying, man, did you get confused? I think you already read that. No, I read it twice on purpose. Hallelujah. That's good for us to hear, dear friends. Amen. We serve because Jesus served. We serve because Jesus expects us to serve. It's made clear through his life and example. It's made clear through the teachings of his apostles. Lots of other places we could have pulled, but these are some strong... Words here, uh, it, it just—I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone else can imagine wiggle room around this. I can't. I don't see any way around it. I'm not looking for one either. So I guess maybe that's why. The third reason we serve as followers of Jesus is because it brings glory to God. I don't know if you caught this when we read uh, from First Peter earlier, but I'm going to read it to you again. This is verse 11 of First Peter 4. This is, this is precious. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Whoa, man! When they, when they start talking like that, I just I want to. What is okay? What is, hold on? I want the one who who glory and dominion forever belongs to him. His name is Christ. How do I get in on that? I want to be a part of that very right thing happening. What is it that if if I'm serve if I'm serving, I should do I should do so as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. What does that mean? That means. I'm not going to go at it half-hearted. I'm not just going to rely on my own strength. I'm not just going to serve when I feel like it. I'm not going to let my emotions drive the car. That means I know there's going to be times when serving faithfully is going to feel like a drudgery. There's going to be times where I don't see measurable results. I know there's going to be times where I'm, not going to, I'm just not going to feel like doing it. But that is where spiritual discipline comes in. That's where we understand that the strength to do these things is, comes from God. Right? He said serve by the, as one who is doing it by the strength that God supplies. So let's just acknowledge the fact that right now, every single one of us at some point isn't going to feel like doing what it is God's called us to do. We're not going to feel like employing for the glory of God the the gifts. We're not going to feel like stewarding the manifold grace of God to his glory. But we need to let, dear friends, this language of the one to whom all glory and dominion belongs forever, that, that his glory is tied to whether or not we're willing to walk out by faith this call to serve, this manifest expression of our love for God and our love for people, because guys, Jesus said, a lot of people are going to run around, they're going to say, I love you. I love you, Lord. He's going to say, I don't know you. Here's one of the ways, friends, where we know this is not just a lip service thing for us. This is not just, yeah, uh, you know, I'd like to get to heaven, so I'm going to say a couple things I heard someone tell me to say. When, When the gospel, when the grace of God comes in and changes a heart, there is a desire that then comes to participate in bringing this beautiful God of ours, the glory that is due his name. And so on, on, on the days invariably when it comes and, 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 we're tired and I've been doing it for a long time. And, and even, I know the verse that says I shouldn't weary and well doing, but I'm still weary and I'm feeling like it, it doesn't matter. And, and nobody's told me thank you in a long time. I'm still, I have this opportunity to think beyond this plane of existence to the, the beauty of eternity and the beauty of, of God's glory and know that when, when, I, when I feel like I don't have it, that I can turn to him, that I can rely on his strength, that I can ask him to help me and that by the strength he supplies, I can continue to serve. I can continue to be somebody that's going to be faithful. I can continue to be somebody that's going to show up. I'm going to be somebody that, because Jesus didn't go AWOL on Calvary Day, <laughs> if, if it was just for that reason alone, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do what it is he's gifted me to do. Amen. Amen. Praise God. It brings God glory when his people serve one another and serve others. Fourth reason I'll give you for why we serve is because it gives us joy. The majority of the most disgusting and pitiful things that humans are capable of are the result of people trying to do something or be something that they weren't made to be. You tracking with me? The majority of the most disgusting and pitiful things humans are capable of is the result of somebody trying to be something or do something that they weren't made to be. Let me ask you this. so, Let's say you, you, you come over to your friend's house. It's a snowy day. Every, every, it's snow day, big snow. Everyone got the day off. Yay! So you head to your friend's house. We're going to sled or drink cocoa or whatever, make snow angels. So here you go. Um, most of you are like, yeah, right, now I'm going to be trying to manage my kids because they're not in school. I, I, know, I know how that goes. But th- just imagine with me, you go over to your friend's house, and there's, there's this big snow, and, and you find them out in the driveway with a butter knife, and they're out there trying to, to basically clear their driveway with the butter knife, man. So you walk up, and here they are. And it's freezing cold out because it's just snow, but they're sweaty and angry because they're out here with this butter knife, man. They keep trying to like, scoop snow and push snow. And my question is, what's what's you walk upon this scene? What's what's your reaction going to be? I'm, I mean, I'm thinking step one, you're going to like, hey, did you did you overtake some cold medicine? Like, what's going on? Are you all right? Let's let's figure out what's going to did you eat some bad food or is this a delusion? Because this this would be ridiculous, right? This this is nonsensical. But hopefully, you know, after you sort that out, maybe you know they were just trying to prove a point or really didn't know that was silly. Maybe. You know, you'd say, hey, friend, uh, there, there's a tool for this. It's, it's called a snow shovel, and we can go get you. I'll tell you what, right now, I'm, just, I'm feeling generous. So some people are called to give. I'm going to give to you right now. Let's go down to the hardware store. Let's get you a snow shovel so you're not out here in the driveway with a butter knife trying to clear the thing. I guess the the adverse of this is true as well. If I, if I come to your house and you're trying to spread butter on your toast with a snow shovel, I'm going to have the same concerns. <laughs> <laughs> can you... <laughs> I keep ruining my toast, right so so mad just and here's we're, we're laughing because it's funny it's it's silly and it's foolish, but trying to shovel snow with a butter knife or trying to butter toast with a snow shovel, that would be ridiculous, and that would be really frustrating. but so is being a human and not serving God to, to the same degree of ridiculousness we, we just don't see it but it, you're not you're not doing what you were made to do. You're not, man, it doesn't make any sense. Is that true? Or am I, am I just am I just saying funny things? No. Ephesians 2:10 says this. It says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. See, dear friend, if you get nothing else from this sermon series, I want you to understand you have a purpose. Okay? And you know, if God made you a butter knife and you're trying to be a snow shovel man, you're going to have a hard time. And everybody that is around you is going to be confused and angry. We, we can't do that. We can't live in that foolishness. There's a purpose for us, and it's to serve God. We were prepared. Uh, we were made for good works that God prepared beforehand for us. You, and if, if you try to make a, tr- a fish live in a tree or an eagle live in a pond, you're going to have a really miserable creature. Real and lasting joy cannot be found outside of doing what we were created for. And dear friends, hear me. We were created to serve God. If you would just buy that simple premise, so many things that cause confusion and deception and struggle in your life, if you would operate out of this presumption that I was created by someone for something, it's by God for him that any deviation from that purpose is going to lead to pain. It's going to lead to destruction, confusion. We were created to serve God, and one of the primary ways we do that, hear me, one of the primary ways we do that is to serve one another. Why, when Jesus was asked the greatest commandment, did he give two? Why did he say it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself? What did the scribe ask him for? One, give me the biggest commandment. Jesus gave him two. Why? Because, friends, you can't take them apart. Because to serve God is to serve others. To love God is to love others. They, they, they go together. The book of 1 John says if you, if you can't love your brother whom you do see, you, you can't love God whom you don't see. It doesn't work. You're a liar. You're confused. You're deceived. One of the ways, and I would say the primary ways God has given us to serve him is to serve one another. God has no need of anything, right? We can't, we can't really serve God directly. What, 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 is it we, what are we going to do for him? He's got it all. He created it all. What's he call us to? He calls us to serve one another. He calls us to consider one another more important than ourselves, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, to not Encounter anybody in any situation, no matter how much better we'd be tempted to think we are than them, to never see ourselves as unable to serve another. To always see ourselves as as a servant willing to stoop down, gird ourselves in that towel, and to wash those feet. There shouldn't be anybody we could come up to, anybody that could come up to us, that we would see ourselves as too high, too great, too special not to serve them. This is the call. Of those who would follow Jesus. That's why we serve. The last point being because it leads to joy. It really does. You're, you're telling me serving other people instead of serving myself is going to lead to more joy for me. I realize the math doesn't add up, but isn't, isn't that true in a lot of what Jesus has taught us and what his word declares? It, it is. This is an inside-out upside-down kingdom. First will be last. Last will be first, right? Amen. So we talked about what service is. We talked about why we serve. We talk about how we serve. Now, before we describe some practicalities as as it pertains to that, the most important question to how we serve is what motivates us to serve. Uh, And that might seem like the same question as why we serve, and I guess to some degree it is, but really there is... There is some overlap, but the motivations we're going to talk about, they deal more with internal heart level things as opposed to like broader reasons that apply to all of us as we discussed before. So how we serve is, is tied so closely to why we serve that we won't we won't get the how right if, if some of these deep motivations are not checked. And so we're going to just talk about those underneath the idea of how, because why and how are are. And they are closely coupled. And so let's just look at some motivations. First of all, we should serve God out of obedience, the motivation of obedience. De- uh, Deuteronomy 13, verse four, Moses declares this, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him and you shall keep his commandments. Listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. Throughout all of the scriptures, there is this idea that we have been created for the service of God. God has made us, and there, there's a beautiful duality to our existence. We are called to serve him, yet he has also called us into this beautiful, love-filled relationship where we are his sons and daughters, and he is our father. And so, yes, there is, there is an element of him as king and we as subject, uh, but at this very same time, wrapped up into that package is this beautiful reality that the, the most prevalent way he's invited us to address him is to call him father. And so, just out of, we, we need to get okay as the people of God with the idea of obedience being a motivation. It still has to be a love motivation, but I want to obey God. I want to obey him. And we should, we should, every single time we find ourselves not wanting to obey him, we should stop and pay super close attention to what's causing that. What lie am I believing that makes me not want to obey what a father as good as our God has said to me? Whether it's something he is commissioning me to do or something he is prohibiting me from doing, anything he's trying to get us to do or not do is because he loves us, and he's proven that undeniably. Amen. We should serve out of obedience. I'm fine with the idea... God deserves my obedience. Utter, complete, total, without question, obedience. Secondly, we should serve out of gratitude. Prophet Samuel said this in 1 Samuel 12, 24. He said, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Friends, as we serve This is part of why elsewhere in Thessalonians we're told that the will of God for us is to be thankful in every situation because if gratitude has not saturated our heart and mind, if we do not have a disposition of gratitude, invariably our service will end up becoming a drudgery. Invariably it will not be fueled by a thankfulness and a heart that is full of, of gratitude towards God. How does that happen? How, let, let's, as, as, we, as we sit here under the teaching of God's word, as we sit here presumably under the working of his spirit in our hearts, let's, let's ask this question. Let's out ourselves and let's be honest. Are there times when I'm not walking in the truth of the scriptures that calls me to be grateful at every single moment? Are there times where I'm feeling ungrateful instead of grateful? Is that ever true for you? Here, I won't even look. Is that ever true for you? My hand's in the air. You ever ungrateful instead of grateful? Yes, you are. Book of 1 John says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. I'm just going to say right now, if you say you're never feeling ungrateful, you're a liar. <laughs> did you just? I did. Love you. Yeah, man. We, we do. We, we are perennially tempted towards ingratitude. Why? Why? Because we forget. We get our eyes all focused on the junk around us and stuff that's going on, things we wish we had, what was different, what I wish I would have done, what I think God should do right now in this moment. Friends, if we knew everything God knows, we would do exactly what he's doing right now. <laughs> if, you knew ev- if you knew everything God knew, you'd pray for exactly what's going on in your life right now because he is faithfully stewarding you. He is faithfully guiding you in a process He's not just about you feeling happy right at this moment or feeling like you got everything your little heart desires. Right now, he's about this greater, beautiful, eternal process of shaping you and forming you, conforming you into the image of his son. He's got eternity on his mind. That's his great and glorious goal. That's the end that we're headed for. Hallelujah. If we think about eternity a little more often, it might help us. We've got to serve out of gratitude. We need to understand all he's done for us. And I don't just mean reaching back to the, I mean, if God had stopped at shedding the perfect sinless blood of the Lamb of God at Calvary that day, if he had stopped at the culmination of his plan of redemption and done not one other thing for us, not given us one other of the precious promises contained within these scriptures, he would be worthy of our obedience and our worship forever. Is that not true? But he's gone so much farther beyond that. He said, not only am I going to do all the work so that you can be saved by grace because you can't save yourself, but I'm also now going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to include you in what I'm doing. I'm going to allow you to have this beautiful gospel in your heart, on your mind, and upon your lips. I'm going to let you participate in the redemptive history that we're going to celebrate for eternity. Come on. He's good. What's he done for you? I don't think he's doing anything for me lately. Well, you're not thinking hard enough about it. Take a big deep breath. That's his grace to you right there. That's his air. Amen. We should serve out of gladness. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. That wasn't a very long verse. It doesn't need to be, does it? It says, serve the Lord with gladness. With gladness, I will call your attention to um, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah talks about the fact that he found out the walls of Jerusalem were broke down, and uh, he was he was so just emotionally uh, destroyed over that that he he could not uh, keep it from his countenance. It was obvious, and so uh, when King Artaxerxes said to him, "What what's going on with you, man? This this." This expression on your face can only be sickness of heart. It can only be you, you, you must really be sad about something. The, the book of Nehemiah says Nehemiah feared greatly, because in that time, if if you were in, in service of the king, especially in the court of the king, um, you, you did not come in the king's presence with a sad face, okay? Because that communicated to the sovereign there that either you weren't happy about being there or you didn't think he was running things right, and so. People could be dragged up out the king's chamber, out of his court there, and 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 killed just for being mopey in his presence. And so Nehemiah knew that he's kind of like oh, right, but God was with him. And Artaxerxes uh, actually, God used him as a part of the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. But the, the point here is, <laughs> uh, Artaxerxes was just a uh, a flawed human king. We should we should think about that. You know, God's not going to have us dragged out and killed. Thankfully, he's going to come and meet us even when we're struggling, but can, do we not have reason to serve the Lord with gladness? Is there not a, a bountiful source, a never-ending fount of reasons for us to be able to be, have a glad countenance in, in the service of our king? There is. Um, amen for that. The last two things I'll, I'll give you is we should serve with faithfulness and we should serve with excellence. We should serve with faithfulness and excellence. And, and when, I, when I think of these things, uh, I go back to the story of the tabernacle being made. If you, if you go back and you read the account of that, God said, okay, I want a, I want a tabernacle, a place for me to come and meet, for sacrifices to be made. Uh, here's the dimensions. Here's what it's going to be made out of. It was very detailed. Lots of real quality craftsmanship was going to have to go in this thing. And it wasn't, you know, they didn't just grab Hank and the boys because they didn't have anything to do and say, all right, boys, let's throw this, let's throw this tent together here. God was very clear. If your name's Hank, I don't mean to be offensive. It's just what came to my mind. Um, it's a fine name. You know, whatever. So uh, it wasn't just whoever decided, yeah, hey, I'll, I'll help. You know, they said, it was, we're going to get the best artisans. We're going to get the best craftsmen, the very best metalworkers that can be found. They're the ones that are going to work on the tabernacle of the Lord. The very best woodworkers we can find. The ones that work with animal skins and all that it's going to take to put this thing together. C- absolute. Excellence in all of it. Why? Why? Why can't just anybody that wants to help help? Because we're making the tabernacle. We're making the place where sacrifices are going to be offered to God and where God's presence is going to dwell uh, in that holy of holies. And so, um, you know, I think yes, Jesus is our New Testament tabernacle. Yes, the veil that separated God from man in the temple it tore when Jesus died. Yes. Um, that, that, that whole system is done, but some of the reverence the people had for God shouldn't have gone away just because now we operate and live by grace through faith. Some of that reverence is right, and we need to keep it. And we need to understand when we are given an opportunity to serve the people of God, to be as a, a part of the service of the kingdom of God, that faithfulness and excellence should be part of how we did The, the best of what I have to give, I think, should be given in service to God and his people. And it seems like oftentimes what what the the mission of God, the kingdom of God, the people of God get from others is kind of whatever they have left. Their job and everything else kind of gets the the first bit of their energy and, and skill and whatever. And then if I have something left at the end, maybe then uh, I'll, I'll give some of that. And you know, if I don't show up, ah, eh, you know, I, I just I've never been able to understand that. I don't know how that happens. Um, I'm gonna be honest. I'm just gonna say this right now. Like when it comes to how we think about and look for folks that maybe have potential to lead things here at Love City, the first thing we're looking for is servanthood. What if you're the most skilled in the whole world at what you do? That's great, but if you can't serve with humility, you can't lead, man. Jesus said, if you're going to follow after me, this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to be willing to take off all of your identity, that tunic and everything that says makes you who you are, wrap on that servant's towel and get down low. And so I, just, just so you know, that's, maybe you are the most qualified person in the room to do a certain thing, lead a department, whatever it is, as far as skill is concerned. But if, if you've got no appetite for or track record of humble, faithful service, we can't use you. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm, I'm going to keep trying to encourage you towards this because this, this is the path and process that Jesus laid out for us. you got to be able to serve to lead. Uh, part of the reason, I, I, honestly, I can't think of any reason why God would allow me to serve the church as, as an elder and a Bible teacher other than somehow he cultivated early on in me a, a, a desire, not just like a willingness to serve, but a desire to serve. And the thing I remember that sticks out most, I was like 12 years old and it was summer. And I remember the church that I was a part of in Sterling, Illinois, they bought the house next to the building because they needed more parking. And, and they demoed the building, but the last thing that had to happen before they could like fill it and uh, pave it and whatnot And I don't even remember, I was 12, I don't really know the details, but for some reason the basement floor, old basement floor of the house had to be busted up. And they didn't have a machine, maybe, I don't know if they couldn't rent them, I don't remember what the deal was, but somebody's going to have to bust this thing up by hand. And so I remember my parents dropping me off for like a week. I would go crawl down a ladder into this basement, and I had this orange sledgehammer that was like a metal triangle. And I remember being down there beaten on that basement floor for a week straight. I mean, until I had to wrap my hands in rags, and some of you are going, oh, that's child abuse. No, man, listen to me. I couldn't, I was sitting down there, I couldn't believe somebody would let me bust up the concrete floor for Jesus so that we could have more parking spaces so more people could come and hear about the gospel. I was thrilled with it. Now, is that because I'm some great person? No, somehow God cultivated that in me. Nobody taught me that. God himself graciously did work in my heart so that I thought about, I mean, this was, like, one of the worst things I've ever done, like physically, it was so much of a bummer to be down there busting up just a foot at a time, man. And you're like, when you were 12, how'd you do that when you were 12? Well, listen, by the time I was 10, I don't know if you guys have ever shopped at places like Walmart or Target, but they have something called Husky Jeans, and it's for big boys, okay? So from the time I was 10, I had Husky Jeans. So I was big enough to do this. This was not a problem. Size was not an issue. But... I'm just telling you right now, and, and, and the first thing anybody ever asked me to do in, as, a, as a part of like serving the church for the weekly gathering of God's people uh, was to usher. And, and My pastor at the time called me in the office. He said, I, I think you should usher. I, I'm telling you right now, I couldn't believe they would let me usher in the house of God, that they would let me serve the congregation and, and let, let me be responsible for making sure Whatever was underneath that that umbrella of responsibility that they would trust me with, that got there early, stayed there late. I'm just telling you, all of that is by God's grace. None of that's because I'm I'm some special person. And, I, and the only reason I'm telling you that I I didn't I didn't know somebody else's story to say. All I'm saying is I think God did that to me, and I think that's He did that with me, and that's the only because I'm. I got nothing else really to give to the like, Bible teacher, elder leader thing. I, don't, I still feel underqualified every day about it. I, I still don't know why God picked me or has me doing this. But when I think through my life and, and the, the arc of growth he's taken me on, I think it's those things. I think it's a willingness, and it's only a gift from him that that happened, but just a willingness to serve. And I promise you, I've told... I've, I'll let all of you in. I've told certain people, I've been scared to say this in front of a lot of people, but there's many times, man, I wish God would have left me alone and left me as an usher. You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm just telling you, it's, it's, sometimes that feels like it would be easier, but it wouldn't because I want to obey God and do whatever he's made me to do. And if I was trying to be an usher and God had called me to be an elder, I'd be miserable like a fish in a tree. So I know that, but I'm just saying... Uh, a willingness to serve and do whatever it is God has called you to do is, is going to be a part of, of your arc of growth and becoming like Christ. You're never going to get where God, God's ultimate vision for what he wants to do with your life if you're not willing to be faithful with little. He can't make you faithful with much if you won't be faithful with little. He, just, he won't do it. He won't do it to you because he loves you. Because if he skips you over faithful with little and takes you to faithful with much, it'll blow up. It'll ruin your life and, it'll, and other people will get hurt by it and it won't be good, okay? Amen, hallelujah. Every one of these spiritual disciplines, we've wanted to make a clear connection to how it contributes to, flows out of, all of that from the gospel. And uh, I told you there's gonna be a lot of scriptures, so I'm just gonna read you this How does serving in the name of Jesus, how does that tie to the gospel? How does it show the gospel? How is it possible because of the gospel? This is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose." Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How does service come from, flow from, lead to the gospel. Friends, we serve. We serve because we have been served so magnificently in Christ. We don't serve to get God to love us more. He has already shown us that that is impossible. Through Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, God has declared in an undeniable way his love for us. We can't get him to love us more by serving better. He'll never love us less when we come short of perfection in it, he has showed us through Christ how much he loves us. And when we're able to serve because we believe that, not serve because we're trying to get that, it changes everything and it makes it beautiful and it makes it life-giving. And it's what God intends for us. The term servant, I want you to really run yourself through this grid. How comfortable are you with being labeled as a servant? I'm a servant. Think about that. At your work, in your home, I'm a servant. You can think of me as a servant. How comfortable are you with that? Here, part of our problem is, friends, that's, that term, it has. we've got fears that keep us to not like that because we thought, well, someone will take advantage of me if I really humble myself. If I'm a servant everywhere, someone might take advantage of me. Well, friends, someone took advantage of Christ, but it led to God's glory. That Yeah, that might happen. The term servant has such a derogatory connotation to it that, that many of us, we'd be uncomfortable with taking that on. I'm talking about big-time primary identity words. I'm talking about the servant's towel being girded around you at all times like it was the master. I mean, how comfortable are you with being called and known as a servant? I'm asking you to challenge yourself in that and, and, to, and to really think about what it means to take that title and to, and to be real, real comfortable with it. Because no matter what anybody else thinks about it, no matter how someone might look down at you, no matter how somebody might treat you when you take on that title of servant, think about how glorious it is. How glorious it is that you get to share a title that Jesus, the master, took for himself. Was Jesus uncomfortable with the title of servant? He took it. He claimed it. He owned it. And he wore it all the way to the cross, friend. Will you be a servant? Will you serve your family? Will you serve those closest to you? Will you serve at work? Will everyone else get ahead by stepping on people? No, no, not you. No, because you belong to Jesus. Will you serve? Will you serve in the house of God? Will you serve among God's people? Will you serve for the mission of the gospel going forward? Will you serve until you feel like you can't serve anymore and then lean upon the strength that God supplies to go ahead and serve some more? Will you lay down your life the way Christ laid his down, will you be a living sacrifice to the glory of God. May we be servants. May we be a people who serve faithfully and with excellence and for the right reasons. May we reflect ever more beautifully the image of our Savior as we follow him in humble service. And may all of this lead to God's great glory and our great joy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you uh, for the book of John. We thank you for the window we see into the mind of our master Jesus as he stripped himself down and girded himself with a servant's towel with no hesitation. He who was greatest made himself lowest. Thank you, Lord, for what this teaches us. Thank you for the example it gives us. Thank you that it takes away every loophole and all the wiggle room we would try to create. Thank you there is no excuse for those of us who bear the name of Christ, not to also bear the name servant and not, Lord, to be servants in name only, but to live our lives in that glorious occupation. Lord, help us. Help us to joyfully walk in the beauty of what it means to serve. Help us to care desperately about the glory of God and know that us serving out of love reflects to the world how good our master is. Lord, even when people would take advantage of us, even when people would would look down upon us, Lord, may we know that seeds of the gospel are being planted and may that matter to us far more than what somebody else may think or that we may be inconvenienced. Lord, help us to serve everywhere we are. Help us to serve those closest to us. Help us to serve those that are difficult to serve. Help us to serve those that make it really, really hard. And Lord, when we get to the point where we can't, help us to to lean on the strength that you supply. Lord, we need your help for this we are given a constant counter message telling us constantly to try to get others to serve us. And even when we do serve, we're, we're tempted to do it for other motives, Lord. We, we're tempted to do it so people will see. We're tempted to do it so people will think we're spiritual. We're tempted, Lord, to, to serve for all of these reasons, Lord. Let our love for you and our love for others, let it fuel a humble service that brings you true glory and brings us true joy. And may this lead to the furthering of your gospel, the growing of your kingdom. Hallelujah. We worship you. We thank you for the truth of your word in these things. We thank you for the promise that when we can't do this on our own, that you'll help us and you'll meet us where we're at. Lord, I ask you to cultivate a desire in us for this. We can't do it. We know we can't do it. But Lord, help us to desire it, to pray about it, to ask for your help in it. We invite you, God, to lend us your strength. Help us. Help us participate in the beautiful gift of being a servant in the privilege of serving in the name of Christ. Hallelujah. We worship you, Master. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies